2: Eco Report is produced by an
1: independent team of volunteers
0: working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana,
1: and financially supported by listeners like you.
3: Hello, and welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Patrick
0: Callanan. And I'm Sarah Kalanian. Today in our feature, Enrique Sands from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talks about a cleanup in Martinsville.
3: That's coming up later in the program, but
0: first your environmental headlines. The argument on logging of forests during the bat roosting season is changing. For the last decade, the DNR has allowed logging during the summer because they had been given the okay from the U.S. Forest Service, or USFS, that there were no bats roosting in the area to be logged. This was the ruling even when bats were caught in mist nets in the area. There is a plan to log parts of the largest forest in Indiana, the Hoosier National Forest. The Hoosier National Forest is composed of four separate sections It has a total area of slightly over 200,000 acres. Headquarters are located in, in Bedford with a regional office in Tell City. Much of Hoosier National Forest is over karst, responsible for the many caves in southern Indiana. Included in the Hoosier National Forest is the Charles C. Dean Wilderness Area, the only recognized wilderness area left in Indiana. No motorized vehicles are allowed in the area, and instead, mules and horses must be used to maintain hiking trails. The trail system has almost 270 miles and allows horseback riding and mountain bikes along with hiking. The plan is to log over 4,000 acres of forest, to burn over 13,000 acres, and to use pesticides on nearly 2,000 acres. Many environmental groups oppose the plan and the case is now in court. The logging plan for the Hoosier National Forest allows logging in the summer. In the summer 2020 edition of the Forest Defender, a publication by the Indiana Forest Alliance, there is a remarkable statement. The USFS concedes that burning and logging in April through September will likely kill several bats that are nationally endangered or formally being considered for such status. The agency says these animals have declined so much from white-nose syndrome that no level of protection will prevent their extinction, End quote. For decades,
3: Congress has authorized billions of dollars in fossil fuel subsidies to keep the industry going. Taxpayers currently pay about $15 billion in direct federal subsidies each year. Several members of the House of Representatives and Senate have responded by introducing the End Polluter Welfare Act to eliminate handouts to fossil fuel polluters. The act would save the public as much as $150 billion in fossil fuel subsidies over the next 10 years. The End Polluter Welfare Act would prevent fossil fuel companies from taking advantage of the COVID-19 pandemic by restricting access to relief funds that should go to the people struggling with this crisis. The act would close dozens of tax loopholes and subsidies benefiting the fossil fuel industry and would prohibit the public funding of fossil fuel research and development. The black, brown, indigenous, and working-class communities who are being hardest hit by the pandemic are the frontline communities whose health The fossil fuel industry is threatening with its drilling, mines, and pipelines. Often ignored are the thousands of coal miners with chronic respiratory illnesses. The End Polluter Welfare Act would ensure funding for their continued medical care under the Black Lung Disability Fund.
0: The first atomic bomb test, called Trinity, took place in south-central New Mexico on July 16, 1945. The communities affected by radiation from the test, the downwinders, are still living with the consequences of Trinity and over 200 other nuclear weapons tests, and they haven't been fully recognized or compensated. In 1990, Congress passed a law intended to compensate victims of atomic bomb testing but it doesn't go nearly far enough and will expire in 2022. A bill in the House of Representatives, H.R. 3783, the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act Amendments of 2019, would expand compensation for those affected by the tests. However, Representative Gerald Nadler, chair of the House Judiciary Committee, hasn't yet scheduled a hearing for the bill. The current law compensates residents in parts of Nevada, Utah, Colorado, and Arizona who were downwinders from the Nevada test site. The new law would extend this compensation to downwinders in New Mexico, parts of Idaho, Guam, and the northern Mariana Islands, and to uranium workers who joined the industry after 1971. It would also extend the compensation fund to 2045. The Atlantic puffin has predominantly black or
3: black-and-white plumage, a stocky build, and a large beak. Their short wings are adapted for swimming with a flying technique underwater. In the air, they beat their wings rapidly, up to 400 times per minute, in swift flight, often flying low over the ocean's surface. They nest on cliffs or among rocks. The only population in the lower 48 is on three small islands in northern Maine. Visitors to the islands are very limited, but those few lucky ones can see puffins as close as three feet from viewing bunkers. When Europeans first arrived in North America, Atlantic puffins were common on islands in the Gulf of Maine. But hunters killed many of the birds for food or for feathers to adorn women's hats. By the 1800s, the population in Maine had plummeted. They came close to disappearing. Then, about 50 years ago, conservationists started bringing puffin chicks from Canada and hand-raising them on the Maine islands. When those birds reach adulthood... They came back to the islands where they were raised and began nesting themselves. The Buffon colony in Maine recovered to more than a thousand nesting pairs. But global warming threatens to end their stay. The Gulf of Maine is actually now one of the most rapidly warming water bodies on the planet. That's driving many fish to cooler waters, so the puffins are not finding enough food in recent years to raise their chicks. The other aspect is that the herring have been greatly overfished. The Gulf of Maine will continue to warm, but it's unlikely
0: that any puffins will remain within a decade. For the last 500 years, Brazil's indigenous Tupinamba people have fought for their ancestral lands but now the threats they face could finally defeat them. Past threats have been mining and agriculture but now a huge logging company wants to clear cut hundreds of acres of Amazon rainforest. There's only one way the Tupinamba can stop this plan by filing a legal claim to their land with the federal government of Brazil. In order to file the claim the Tupinamba have to travel across all of their territory, carefully marking the borders of their land, kilometer by kilometer. That's the only way they can ensure their land has a chance to be protected. They are currently fundraising for urgent provisions, GPS equipment and boats to make the weeks-long journey along their borders and to campaign to protect their ancestral lands. If they could expect justice, The Tupinamba people could ask their government to uphold their land claims and defend them against illegal corporate projects. However, the right-wing administration of President Jair Bolsonaro is carrying out an all-out assault on indigenous land rights in the Amazon and opening up the area to massive logging, mining, and agriculture, thereby destroying the rainforest.
3: The Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, thanks to protections put in place 60 years ago, has remained a pristine oasis in the most remote section of Alaska. Now the Trump administration is finalizing plans to end their protections and to lease federal lands to oil and gas exploration, according to the New York Times. The maneuver will allow oil and gas companies to exploit the vast reserves that sit under what environmentalists call the last great wilderness, according to the Guardian. The Arctic National Wildlife Refuge is estimated to sit above billions of barrels of oil. However, the 19 million acre sanctuary is home to polar bears, musk oxen, snow geese and other waterfowl, migrating caribou and arctic foxes that make the area their home year-round. In all, the refuge is home to more than 270 species. Environmentalists intend to fight the leases in federal court, where a protracted legal battle is expected to play out.
0: Just over 10 years ago, the United Nations General Assembly adopted a resolution affirming that water and sanitation are fundamental human rights, quote, essential for the full enjoyment of the right to life, end quote. Despite that lofty resolution, millions in the U.S. lack access to water because of unaffordable water rates, water shutoffs, or a lack of water infrastructure, the Water Affordability, Transparency, Equity, and Reliability Act or Water Act aims to cure those problems. The Water Act would reinvest 35 billion federal dollars a year to do the following. First, make water affordable by prioritizing grants and subsidies to poor communities. Second, Support publicly owned water systems by providing funds for communities to control their water systems and exit water privatization contracts. Third, get lead out of water by helping communities remove lead pipes and helping schools test for lead and replace lead fixtures. Last, address water contaminated with PFAS, the chemicals used to make nonstick Teflon coatings and fire suppression materials by updating treatment systems or finding alternative water sources when PFAS contamination exists. In
3: 2004, Hurricane Ivan sank a Taylor Energy Company oil platform 12 miles off the coast of Louisiana. The pipes ruptured and have been releasing oil and gas into the Gulf of Mexico ever since. In fact, the spill has been leaking as much as 4,500 gallons of oil into the gulf every day. The company refuses to clean up its mess and is attempting to avoid liability for the disaster, even though the federal government ordered it to take responsibility for the cleanup. The company has gone so far as to suggest that the oil being collected near its broken wells isn't actually from those wells but there is nowhere else where it could be from. When the spill occurred, Taylor Energy immediately tried to keep the leak secret and do nothing about it. The result is so many uncapped wells that experts estimate the spill could continue for another 80 years. Environmental groups are calling for the EPA to
0: immediately enforce the federal order to clean up the spill. Prochlorate is a toxic chemical compound found in part in rocket fuel where it's used to increase the reliability of propellants. High concentrations of perchlorate have been found contaminating the drinking water in 26 states, often near military facilities. By interfering with the thyroid gland's uptake of iodine, Perchlorate can stunt the production of hormones integral to brain development in fetuses, infants, and children. At high concentrations, perchlorate can cause an average IQ loss of 2 points in infants of iodine-deficient women. In 2011, under the Obama administration, the EPA decided that because of its health effects, the chemicals' presence in water should be limited or regulated. However, the Trump administration decided that regulating the chemical in drinking water was off the table. A court order then required the EPA to set a safe drinking water standard for perchlorate by the end of June 2020. Today, Andrew Wheeler, administrator of Trump's EPA, is ignoring the court order, claiming that it is, quote, not in the public interest, end quote, to regulate perchlorate. The Defense Department and corporations constituting the military-industrial complex, including Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grumman, are aggressively resisting restrictions on perchlorate. Southern Power, a U.S.
3: wholesale energy provider and subsidiary of Southern Company, says the 200-megawatt Redding Wind Facility in Kansas is now operational. This project, Southern Power's 11th wind facility, is the first to be validated as a carbon offset project under the Verified Carbon Standard Program through an agreement with Royal Caribbean Cruises Limited. This initiative which is expected to annually offset more than 10% of Royal Caribbean's emissions, is the latest addition to that company's extensive sustainability efforts, which include programs to reduce greenhouse gas emissions through innovations at sea and in port. The carbon offsets generated by the Reading Wind Facility are being sold to Royal Caribbean under a 12-year power purchase agreement. Reading Wind Facility consists of 62 wind turbines manufactured by Siemens. Siemens is responsible for the annual maintenance service plan and providing qualified personnel to support the 20-year long-term
0: program that covers all up-tower maintenance. While 2019 saw a massive uptick in environmental activism around the world, with climate strikes and the Extinction Rebellion campaign surging in popularity, the work of defending the environment on the front lines became more deadly than ever. In 2019, a record number of environmental activists were killed for trying to protect land and water resources from mining, agribusiness, and fossil fuel interests, according to a report released by Global Witness, as CNN reported. The number of activist deaths that Global Witness recorded was 212, a nearly 30% increase from 2018. The true number is probably higher since many deaths go unreported, according to The Guardian.
3: And now for our feature, we will hear Enrique Sands from the Indiana Environmental Reporter, Talk about a cleanup in Martinsville.
2: The city of Martinsville is historically known for its artesian wells, but now the city of mineral water is facing a risk from down below. The city is sitting atop a toxic Superfund site that could have made people ill for decades. A plume of tetrachloroethylene known as PCE has contaminated groundwater in Martinsville, and PCE vapors could be affecting people throughout the area. PCE is the main chemical in dry cleaning and is likely to be carcinogenic, that's according to the EPA. The chemicals can also irritate the upper respiratory tract and eyes, cause kidney dysfunction, and a wide array of neurological effects. The EPA believes there are several possible sources of contamination, including a former dry cleaning operation called Masterware. In 2005, the city installed and began using activated carbon filtration systems to remove PCE from its water, but PCE levels continue to rise. Now the EPA has a plan to clean up the site and wants to know what you think about it. This is EPA Remedial Project Manager Eric Hardin.
1: For the contamination in groundwater, we propose a process called in-situ chemical oxidation. We are also proposing to continue treating the city's municipal water supply with carbon until the groundwater is cleaned up. For the vapor contamination in the soil, EPA is proposing to use a process called soil vapor extraction, and if future sampling shows it is needed, to also remove portions of contaminated soil. EPA is also proposing to conduct additional sampling in and under homes and businesses to look for these contaminant vapors. Where we find these vapors at concerning levels, we are also proposing to install devices on the home or business that keep underground vapors from getting inside.
2: The EPA estimates the cleanup will take 15 years to complete at the cost of $7.5 million to mitigate vapors from contaminated soil and another $4.2 million to clean the groundwater to drinking water standards. All of that will be covered by Superfund. The agency is asking for residents' input on the proposed plan. Community response could change what the final plan looks like.
1: After reviewing your comments, we will reassess our plan and select a final cleanup plan in a document called a Record of Decision or ROD. That ROD will include a responsiveness summary that gives responses to the comments we receive. Once the ROD is issued, I will work to get a contractor on board to design the remedy, then another to put it into motion. Once the remedy is up and running, we will be doing regular monitoring of soil vapor, groundwater, and the VIMS units. On top of that, we do comprehensive reviews every five years just to make sure things are progressing as planned and that we don't need to consider switching plans.
2: You can submit your comments over the phone by fax, email, or through the Superfund's website. You can also send your comments by mail. We'll have all those links on our website, indianaenvironmentalreporter.org. The EPA will also hold a virtual question and answer session over the phone on August 12th, where you'll be able to ask EPA representatives involved with the project your questions directly. That's happening Wednesday, August 12th from 6 to 8 p.m. That information is also on our website.
0: For EcoReport, I'm Sarah Callanan,
3: And I'm Patrick Callanan. Support for EcoReport comes from Blooming Foods Market and Deli, Lewington's locally grown co-op grocery since 1976, offering products with a focus on local, fair trade, organic, and natural, with support for farmers, producers, agencies, and artisans. Blooming Foods Market and Deli on East 3rd Street near College Mall, 6th Street West near the Courthouse Square, and Shreve Hall on the Ivy Tech campus.
0: Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships.
3: To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for our events calendar. Spend the weekend of Saturday, August 22nd and Sunday, August 23rd in the Mitchell Karst Plain, exploring caves and the history and ideas tied to them. Many cave hikes and tours are scheduled. All hikes and programs require advanced registration due to the limited capacity. Face masks must be worn while inside a cave. Email Sherry Belt for more information at sbelt@dnr.in.gov, at or call 812-849-3534.
0: The Bloomington Community Orchard is continuing its weekly work and learn days from 5 to 8 p.m. on Wednesdays at the Flagship Orchard site located at 2120 South Highland Avenue in Bloomington. No need to register, just show up and you will learn what needs to be done. Volunteering is open to people of all ages, abilities, and experience.
3: Learn all about navigation at McCormick's Creek State Park on Saturday, August 22nd at 3.30 p.m. Join Andrew at the Deer Run Shelter to learn about the art of finding your way using the sun, moon, stars, topography, and animals. You will learn these skills while hiking
0: Trail 9 to the Pedden Homestead. Spring Mill State Park is offering a 10-mile trail challenge. The challenge is 10.8 miles long and encompasses all of the park's trails. The challenge can be completed within a day or spread out over the year.
3: The Indiana Audubon Society will host its annual fall birding gathering at Fort Harrison State Park on Saturday, September 26th. Enjoy bird-watching activities while social distancing. Register now at www.indianaaudubon.org slash events. For more information about the weekend festival, call 219-728-8351. And that wraps up our show for this week. EcoReport is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar power systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolar.com.
0: This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sands. David Lyman wrote the script, and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show.
3: For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan,
0: and I'm Sarah Callanan. And this is Eco Report.
1: You've been listening to the Eco Report. Directly to the Eco Report staff.
0: The email address is
1: earth at wfhb.org.
0: That's earth at wfhb.org.